Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. All right, well, that's a tough act to follow. Um, I guess I don't have to preach the sermon now. You already got the summary. There it is. Bam, you can come. No, okay. Um, I'm joking. What's up, church fam? My name is Marcus Williamson, and I am Z's dad. Uh, he told me I had to say that. Uh, contractually obligated NIL deal. That's, you know, it's the whole thing. Uh, I'm also one of the pastors. In case you are new, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. In case you thought that was a weird intro, don't worry. The jokes will get worse before they get better. All right. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5. For those of you who are new, we are working our way through the Ten Commandments as a church. And today, we'll be going over commandment number four, which is keeping the Sabbath. Now, if you are new to church in general or new to following after Jesus, the word Sabbath can potentially be a weird word to read or hear, uh, but we'll circle back around to a fuller explanation, but essentially the Sabbath was a day of rest for the Israelites. But as we read, you'll see that this kind of rest uh, that the Lord is commanding is altogether different than what you might think. And today, what I want to try to show you is, uh, is the beauty and the practical helpfulness of the Sabbath. And I think that we are in desperate need of it more than ever because of the way uh, uh, we live constantly on, right? Everything is, the world is just always on, uh, uh, one that never slows down, one that never slows down. We have access to our phones 24-7, we're overhurried, we're over busy, and all the data shows that, uh, uh, that we are paying the price for it, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I think in the midst of a societal situation like that, the Sabbath is an exceptionally helpful practice. So my goal for today will be to try to convince us that the Sabbath is something that is very valuable and worthy of our time in this day and age, that is more doable than we might think it is, and that it has the potential to change our lives. So that's what we're shooting for today. Let's go ahead and get after it. Deuteronomy 5, we'll start in verse 12. We're actually going to read after, uh, we're going to read the ESV translation. All right, it says this, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. All right, let's stop right there. So the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Can you say Shabbat? So Shabbat in its most literal sense means to stop. So the Israelites once a week would have a stop day where they would refrain from work from Friday night to Sunday, uh, or sorry, to sundown Saturday night, with the reason being that it was meant to be holy. Now, that word holy comes from the word kadosh. Can you say kadosh? So kadosh can be translated as being set apart, unique, categorically different from the rest, or sacred. So each week, this day, the Sabbath was supposed to be a day where they stopped working, uh, Shabbat, and it was a meant to stand out from the other days of the work week, Kadosh. It was meant to be altogether different, more unique than the rest of the days. 
Now, this idea of having something being holy, special, set apart, uh, uh, might sound a bit foreign to us. And for those of you who might remember, uh, in week two, we talked about one of the concepts of morality actually being sanctity and degradation. And essentially, there are things that that God calls holy, things that he says are sacred, and because we don't necessarily think in those terms nowadays, we have made those things that he calls holy more mundane and ordinary. But like Kent said in week two, we do have hints of things being set apart. So uh, for instance, if you lived in America for any amount of time, if I were to say the words December 25th, I'm sure our eyes would light up right now, right? Like Christmas is very unique and it is altogether different for most days of the year, in fact. Some of us start the endless search for the perfect gifts gift for our people very early, right? We love decorating our houses inside and out with all the inflatables and all the lights outside. And don't get me started on this, but some of us even listen to Christmas in mid-July. Don't laugh. Uh, Shame on you. Don't don't laugh. Um, For some of us in the room, we We don't just take a day off, right? We take multiple days off. Some companies even give a week off to their staff because it is so different. So this idea of something being set apart is not new. But what I want you to see is that the Sabbath was not only meant to be that, but I would argue so much more than that. There was practical implications of the specialness of the Sabbath. So let's read the rest of Deuteronomy. And then what I want us to do is I want us to be able to unpack Three distinctives for what the Sabbath is for. So we'll do that. Deuteronomy 5, verse 13. It says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to who, church fam? The Lord your God, right? On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we've already mentioned that the Sabbath was a day to stop working. But if you notice here that we don't just get negative commands for the Sabbath things not to do. We also get things to do. And the first one is that on the Sabbath, we are to remember God. We are to remember God. And I'm getting that from verses 14 and 15. Uh, Verse 14 says the Sabbath day is, uh, uh, or sorry, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then verse 15 says, you shall remember you were a slave and the Lord brought you out. So when the When we Sabbath, our call is to remember who God is on that day. Now, to be sure, uh, our call should be to remember God each and every day, right? But on this particular day, it should look a little different uh, than the rest of the week. So for me, it made me think about how much I love texting my wife throughout the week. I love catching up on the fly. I love to hear about the boys. Um, I also love to, you know, just silly things, anything silly that we can come up with. Uh, And I'm sure many of us have that same type of uh, uh, thing we do throughout the week. But do you know what I love even more? I love date nights. I love date nights so much. And, and, And the reason being is that that gives us devoted time together to get to enjoy one another's company and to catch up in a more meaningful way. All right, 
In a similar way, the Sabbath was meant to be more and more intentional way to be with God. So at least significant portions of your Sabbath should be opportunities to actually to remember who God is, to be mindful of God. Now, that doesn't mean that your Sabbath has to, has to be you sitting in front of your Bible with worship music playing sun up to sundown, uh, although that could be cool if you wanted to, um, but it doesn't have to look like that. But it certainly shouldn't look like you uh, being hurried, doing a dozen different things, or vegging out on Netflix, because it's hard to make the case that doing those sorts of things actually helps you remember who God is, right? Well, unless you're watching The Great British Bake Off. Those are wholesome, wholesome people, guys. Um, <laughs> they're doing the Lord's work. Um, all right, so, so we do things on our Sabbath that actually generate worship in us. So we eat food that we really, really enjoy. We listen to music or a podcast that, that actually takes our mind off of all the things that are happening in the world so that we can focus and remember who God is. We go to places here in Knoxville or, or out of town that make us thankful for God as our creator. We do things that generate life and joy in us. Uh, we don't want things to sap energy away from us. So. We are to remember who God is. And more specifically, as the passage says, we are to remember what he has done for us. So for the Israelites, it was remembering that God rescued them out of slavery from the Egyptian rule. That he did it in such a way where, where they would never forget who it was that saved them when they needed it the most. Uh, do you ever remember uh, what the Lord has done for you? Do you ever think about how, how Jesus, in a similar way, rescued you out from the sin of slavery? How he has, as the old school black pastors say, brought you out from a mighty long way. How he has, uh, uh, how he has uh, uh, done that for you. Or are you just a prisoner of the moment? So for me, I have a bad memory. Uh, some may call it selective I never know which one it is, honestly, but I tend to forget, and of the many things that I forget, remembering what the Lord has done for me actually escapes my mind often. Um, so one thing that I have found helpful over the years has been to actually write down my prayer requests and the prayer requests of others in a spreadsheet. And when a prayer is either answered or not answered, I typically will jot it down. And so as you can imagine, this actually helps me to keep a somewhat accurate list of things that the Lord has done, not only for me, but for my family, for my friends, for my coworkers, for our church, for our city, and for our world. And hear me say I'm far from perfect from keeping this list up to date and praying consistently. Uh, sometimes the day gets ahead of me, I'm playing catch up at work, can't really get to it. Sometimes I am lazy and don't want to deal with praying. Um, but over the years, what I've found is that this method actually helps me remember not just the present, but also helps me remember the past of what the Lord has done for me and the people around me. Okay, for you, this might be right up your alley, right? You may be like, spreadsheets, please give this to me. This is what I want. This is what I was missing in my life. But also, if most of your job is making spreadsheets, maybe you shouldn't do that on your Sabbath. <laughs> Sounds a lot like work. Um, 
maybe do it differently. Maybe for you, it looks like spending five to 10 minutes uh, on Friday remembering your work week and the things that you prayed for, for how, and then how the Lord responded to those prayers, or just things that you noticed that the Lord was already doing and working in without you even praying at all. Maybe it's sinking through your past and how the Lord brought you out of a certain situation. Maybe it's several situations that you've been to. If you have kids, maybe it's spending time asking, hey, what are some of your highlights from the week? And then figuring out how to redirect that to how God was in those highlights, right? Whatever it is exactly, being able to remember God and to remember what he has done for you is one of the things that we're actually shooting for for as a part of our Sabbath. So the next distinctive of Sabbath is rest. Rest. So getting this from verse 14, on it you shall not do any work. So we've mentioned this before, but Israel is fresh out of the Egyptian captivity after living there for 400 years, most of that time as slaves in Egypt. And when they were slaves, they worked seven days a week, sun up to sun down. Their productivity went to serve Pharaoh. Their identity was not as human beings with souls and stories that matter, like we often say here. It was not first and foremost human beings with, that were made in the image of God. They were first and foremost chained to Pharaoh's command. Whatever he said they did, their humanity was simply to work, and that's it. But God... But God, he, he enters the picture by freeing them from slavery. And he tells them, hey, you are no longer slaves. You are no longer to serve an oppressive king. You are part of my kingdom now. Your worth is found in so much more than what you do. And in my kingdom, your worth is in who you are, specifically who you are to me. And then in a very practical sense, God says this, he says, so to remind you of all of that, for this story to get down into your bones, here's what I want you to do. One day a week, I want you to just stop. That's right, I just want you to rest. This is how you're gonna be reminding yourself that you are not defined by Pharaoh. How you're gonna remind yourself that, that you're not defined by what you do. Once a week, you're going to intentionally stop working and rest and remember who I am. You're gonna remember what I've done for you, how you're now free from slavery. Okay, whether you realize it or not, the spirit of Pharaoh is alive in this country. It is alive and well in our culture. Our, our culture, much like theirs, is built on what you accomplish, more of what you can accomplish than it is, uh, or than it is of who you are as a human being. It's built on this sun-up, sun-down mentality. Case in point, America works 184 more hours than uh, the Japanese, 300 and more hours per year than the French, 294 more than the UK, and 442 more hours per year than the Germans. We work more hours than most countries in the world. And get this, workaholism is both socially acceptable and also something we tend to brag about the most here in America. The spirit of Pharaoh is indeed alive and well here. And what God is offering us is a chance to, to stop and to breathe. He's offering us as followers of Jesus to put our brains on pause, to put our work and our deeds on pause, to remember that we are human beings first 
made in the image of God and apart from anything we do or don't do. Deuteronomy 5 tells us that, that one of the most practical ways to push back on the lie that we need to work is to have a day where we don't. A day where, where we don't accomplish tasks, a day to resist the narrative that work is who we are. So how does this apply to you and me in the 21st century? Well, if you want your Sabbath to be successful, if you want it to be everything that it can be and should be, you will have to prepare for it. In the Old Testament, there's a story about how God uh, provided manna, uh, a type of bread for the Israelites. And he tells them that, that on the sixth day of the week, they should gather double the amount of bread so that they don't have to actually gather any on the Sabbath. In a similar way, this idea is that the Sabbath requires some preparation in advance to be able to pull it off. And I think the same principle is at play in us needing to prepare well for the Sabbath. So for most of us in the room, I would imagine uh, we have two days a week, or two days a week where we don't have to work like we do the other five days of the week. Now, generally, what happens on both of those days uh, is that we probably do some form of vegging out and also slightly kind of working, right? We tidy up here and there. We cut the grass while football is at halftime. Uh, after church, we try and get ready for the upcoming week. We may try uh, and get ahead of some emails, maybe prep the kids for the week, uh, and so forth and so on. And if you approach both days being off like that, well, what you end up with is really no rest at all. So if you have two days off, maybe having one of those days actually be a prep day for the Sabbath will actually allow you to Sabbath. So if you need a babysitter on the Sabbath, that's probably something you need to schedule earlier in the week. If you need to do laundry or dishes on the Sabbath, uh, um, maybe you need to do that a little bit earlier in the week. Again, maybe the day before. It could be a lot of dishes. Who knows? But being able to do that before the Sabbath could be really good for you. Maybe you don't need to check emails on the Sabbath. That may mean you need to have a block out uh, a day of 30 to 45 minutes to be able to wrap up any unfinished emails that need to go out. If you need to stay away from technology on the Sabbath, that probably means you need to turn off your phone before you go to sleep at night, right? So whatever it is, you, you do the math. What might keep you from Sabbathing? What might keep you from it? And then whatever that thing is, Figure out a way to take care of it before you actually Sabbath. See, a quality Sabbath is probably going to require at least some amount of preparation in advance. You don't usually stumble uh, into a restful Sabbath. You actually plan for it. You prepare for it. And I realize how counterintuitive that may seem, but that's often how it works. That's how the scriptures would say it works. So as you prepare for the Sabbath, you should also be thinking about what you want to do on the Sabbath. So making a list of all of your favorite things and then picking one or two of them for each of the Sabbaths. Maybe for you that list includes things like going on a walk in your neighborhood. Maybe that's very restful for you. Maybe it's restful for your family. Maybe you don't get to take naps throughout the week, as most of us probably don't. And maybe a nap actually sounds very glorious to you. Maybe it's taking a bath. Bubbles. Epsom salts, right? The whole deal, everything, the whole nine yards. Uh, maybe for you, going on a hike is your thing. 
This is actually one of my favorites uh, when I get around to it. Uh, because I look at a computer like literally all week, um, it's actually good for me to go on a hike. I typically go to Seven Islands, if you know where that is. Uh, I'll go with someone in my life group, my wife, whoever, and it's just always refreshing to me to be able to do that. Maybe for you, it's, it's going to a coffee shop with a close friend with no time limits, right? Maybe, maybe that sounds very restful to you. For others in the room, it might be having a slow, casual brunch at your house with several friends. Whatever it looks like, the point is, is to, to ask, what are those things, uh, after you do them, you feel joy and you feel recharged. You feel energized to tackle whatever's next in life. Those are the types of things that we want you to do on your Sabbath. All right, the last distinct of a Sabbath we are highlighting is be with God's people. Be with God's people. That is also verse 14. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that just your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So everyone from the leaders of Israel to the sojourner to the servants in the society were meant to stop working. Even the livestock, yes, even the animals got a Sabbath in God's kingdom. Sabbath had, a, had and still has a huge priority in the life of their society. And if you were to stroll through the market on a Friday uh, while the sun was going down, everyone would be out in the streets hustling, right? They'd be out there hustling, you know, getting last minute groceries, making sure they have everything that they need, uh, um, knocking out all types of errands. And then when the Sabbath actually rolled around, the city would become a ghost town. All the businesses would shut down, not just the Chick-fil-A's. <laughs> because everyone was in their homes, right? They were in their homes, they were in the synagogues, they were resting, they were worshiping, they were sharing meals together. See, the Sabbath is not just a stop day for you. It's also a stop day for us. Somebody say Sabbath is a stop day for us. I didn't know how that was going to actually go. <laughs> to be honest, I was like, I mean, I usually do one word. I don't know if they can string together a sentence. Who knows? You did great. You sounded beautiful. Um, see, the Sabbath is a stop day for us. It's something that we are called, all of us, to do together. See, for ancient Israel, this looked like family spending time together, not working the fields, but enjoying each other's company. It, it looked like Israel gathering together to sit under God's word taught by the Levitical priests. It looked like feasting, sharing meals together with people in their community. It looked like remembering God together, encouraging one another and how the Lord had worked in their lives that week, how he answered their prayers. So yes, in our modern day context, applying this might mean going to church if you choose the Sabbath on the Sunday, but it's also way more than that. Yes, there are some amounts of self-care during the Sabbath as well, if you want to call it that, but it, it's also way more than that as well. See, the Sabbath was not meant to just be you exclusively. And self-care, if I can jump on that train, self-care tends to be about, well, yeah, that's right, self, it's, you said it. Unprompted, well done. <laughs> And, and there's a lot that makes self-care alluring, right? But the main thing that I think that makes it so alluring to all of us is that everyone is doing it. 
There are podcasts, there are books, there are TikToks. All of that, they, they just all focus on self-care these days. Everyone is doing it or they're daydreaming about doing it. Uh, it's, it's slowly becoming more and more acceptable to take mental health days at work. Um, and I think in part because people have noticed the stats on how much we actually work. Which to that, hey, yes and amen. I'm glad that we actually are no starting to notice that because it's not good. Um, but at the same time, what I want you to see is that Sabbath is not self-care. It, it, the pendulum shouldn't swing all the way to the other end. See, as, as followers of Jesus, I don't want you to confuse self-care with Sabbath. The lines can easily get blurred because there are elements of self-care that actually coincide with Sabbath, but it is, in fact, not a Sabbath. They're not the same thing. Self-care focuses only on you, only on your wants, only on your desires. It only takes care of you. But see, the Sabbath not only takes care of you, it also takes care of the people around you. It invites you to seek others out to Sabbath with, right? It invites others to seek you out to Sabbath with together. You know what? It even invites you to seek your pets out to Sabbath with them. Aww. Um, so if you Sabbath on, if you, if you say on my Sabbath, I'm going to watch football, college football all day, that's not a Sabbath. Now, don't get me wrong. It sounds fun. I would love to watch with you. Um, as long as you also care about the Gamecocks, right? No? Okay. I'm moving on. Uh, but that's not a Sabbath. I mean, unless you're praying for every player as you watch, which you're not because opposing team, um, <laughs> there is nothing upward, nothing Godward about that. Okay? Maybe you say, oh, well, on my Sabbath, I'm going to go shopping all day. Yeah, that's, that's not upward either. Um, and hear me out. Your, your Sabbath can totally involve football, uh, if that is your thing. It can totally involve shopping uh, within reason. But if you spend an entire day doing those things, that's not a Sabbath. That is considered self-care. And the reason it's not a Sabbath is because there's no element of to the Lord uh, in the language of the passage, right? Now, what worked great for the Israelites was that all of them were able to Sabbath around the same time. Uh, generally speaking, uh, most, if not all, people had a similar work schedule, which made it very easy to Sabbath collectively. Um, fast forward to today, and work schedules don't really allow for it as easily. Um, but chances are, uh, if given a little effort, you might be able to Sabbath with a good bit of people in your life group, within your community, or your family. So this may look like asking those in your life to pick a day to Sabbath together. Maybe every uh, Saturday you go out to the zoo and then tether yourself away from your phone uh, because everyone you would be worried about is actually already there with you. Maybe if there are enough stay-at-home moms in your group, maybe all the dads actually wrangle the kids to have uh, at one house and actually watch football uh, together <laughs> uh, while the kids play, thus freeing all the moms up to be able to have breakfast at Wild Love. Uh, Yes, Wild Love, and speak about the Lord and his goodness from the week. Yes, Wild Love is a great place. I've been there twice. Um, <laughs> maybe it looks like having a few people over for dinner to watch the sun go down and close out your Sabbath day, uh, with part of the purpose being to reflect and to remember who God is. Whatever it looks like, let's do everything that we can to help our Sabbath look more and more communal 
than something individualistic. See, when we establish this type of rhythm uh, of life into our schedules, remembering God, resting, uh, being with our community, I believe God will, will use this to be able to breathe life into yourselves. When we incorporate them into our lives, it will reinforce the narrative that you are a son and daughter of the Most High and you are not a slave to work. That you are not loved because of what you accomplish. Let me say that. Let me say that again. I was not planning on that, but let me say it again. That you are not loved because of what you accomplish, but because of what God accomplished on your behalf. Now, hopefully, that gives you uh, at least a working picture in your mind of the types of things that a Sabbath should include. Uh, but with that established, here's how I kind of want to wrap up for us today. Uh, I want to be able to give us a handful of tips of how to put the Sabbath into practice in our lives. Uh, so if you want to start putting uh, into practice, putting it into practice or, or all of a sudden realizing you haven't really understood what the Sabbath is, here's some guidance I would offer you. Tip number one, make a to cease list. Make a to cease list. So for my uh, more type A people in the room, every other day of the week, you can live by your to-do list. Uh, but on the Sabbath, you need a to cease list. Uh, that would be probably good for you. So to remember that the Sabbath is holy, it, it should stand out noticeably from things that you are doing the other days. So, so your list of what you're not doing uh, <laughs> or what you're not going to do on the Sabbath matters just as much, uh, if not more, than what you are going to do. So start with the question, okay, what do I normally do the rest of the week? And then take all that stuff off. <laughs> um, make them off limits. So if, uh, for instance, if you send emails constantly on your computer uh, all week, Maybe you should cut out emailing uh, on the Sabbath. If you make calls all week, you should probably not call anyone. If, you're, if you work with your hands all week, if you build things, if you fix things, hey, try to do your best not to do that. Try not to build something, as cool as it sounds. Don't do it. Um, if you strategize all week, do your best to not strategize on the Sabbath. That has to be straining on your brain anyway, right? One slightly more complex one, uh, if you stay at home and take care of your kids all week, do your best to minimize that on the Sabbath. Now, obviously, this one's a little bit more difficult because especially if you have small kids, uh, you can't just you know, lock them out in the backyard and be like, all right, I'm off my Sabbath. I'll see you later, guys. M maybe if you have a fence. <laughs> So you may have to get creative, uh, to say the least. It may mean that whichever parent doesn't usually stay at home with the kids during the week, uh, they actually take them on a weekend day so the other parent can actually take a Sabbath, which, as a side note, uh, might mean that some of us uh, parents who don't normally stay at home with kids need to grow in our, in our ability to do so so that our spouse can actually take a Sabbath. And I find that it is more often than not dads who actually need to grow in that. That's a free one for you guys. <laughs> or maybe it looks like reallocating part of your budget to be able to pay for a babysitter on your Sabbath so that you can actually have a day. That's a free one for the dads, you know, budget, moving the things. Okay, sorry. 
Uh, now, for single parents in the uh, single parents in our church, this one uh, is is on us as a family. This is on us as a church family. We should be offering, and you should be asking, if some of us can take care of your kids so that you can actually Sabbath. Your life group should be willing and eager to step in and come alongside you in an effort to help you to actually Sabbath. This is part of what it means to, to, to function as a family, as a church family. We help one another fight for spiritual health, which includes helping one another Sabbath well. All right, tip number three. Don't be surprised if it is difficult at first. Don't be surprised. Did I say three? Two. Tip number two. Don't be surprised if it is difficult at first. Dad brain. Um, Like we said at the top, uh, you and I live in a society that constantly reinforces the lie that we are what we accomplish. So taking a day to not accomplish things might be really difficult to do at first. You may fill, uh, uh, fill the pool within the first hour to check your email, right? to do that spreadsheet, to strategize, to get something done, uh, to respond to that text from work, or you might just be inclined to grab your phone within the first hour and start mindlessly scrolling through TikTok. Because a lot of us operate as if we are what we accomplish, more than we might realize. So that might mean our first attempts at a true Sabbath feel more like a challenge than anything else. But here's the deal, listen, that, that's actually just proof that you need the Sabbath more than you realize. Think about it this way. If a person is addicted to a substance of some sort and they try to quit, but they have, but they have withdrawals from quitting, that is proof that they indeed were addicted to that substance. Okay, so similarly, if we go through productivity withdrawals, when we try to Sabbath, that's actually a sign that, that we do have a problem that needs addressing. It may just take time to see the type of fruit that we want to see from addressing it. So just just know that it it may be uncomfortable and a bit awkward at first. No new rhythm or habit goes smoothly on the first try. So so don't don't try it once and then give up, right? Try it 10 times and evaluate to see if you're actually getting anywhere with it. Bring church family into it like we were saying before. Really give it a try. Get a feel for it. For some of us, it it might be a walk in the park, which is great. But for others, it will take some time learning and then also unlearning some things, which leads us to our last tip. Tip number three, now, start somewhere. Start somewhere. So technically, the Sabbath should be a full 24 hours, sun uh, down to sundown or sunrise to sunrise. The goal is for it to be an entire day from ceasing from work. So if you can do 24 hours, great. But maybe 24 hours probably seems impossible for you right now. And that's okay. Start somewhere. If you can't find a babysitter for the whole day, find a sitter for maybe half a day, right? Or for a few hours. The, the idea also is that your Sabbath would be the same day every week. So that it creates a, a natural rhythm to you uh, uh, for, your work, for your week. But maybe right now you're at the mercy of when you're scheduled for work. Uh, which may be a lot of us. Uh, so maybe your Sabbath needs to be a floating Sabbath or, or the second half of one day and the first half of another. Whatever you need to do, start somewhere. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be ideal. So don't let, it, uh, so don't let the need for it to uh, be perfect keep you from actually doing it, right? 
Just start somewhere. Commit to join God in his holy rhythm of rest, and I can promise you he will bless your efforts over time. So here's uh, where I want to land the plane. Uh, I want to land the plane on Jesus, of course. Um, Matthew 11, 28 through 29. Many of you have probably heard this passage before, but uh, I really want us to consider what it is in light of everything we just talked about. Um, should be on the screen. Jesus says to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what, church fam? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I need, you to, I need you to hear me on this. Um, the epicenter of rest is in the person and work of Jesus. Come to me, Jesus says, right? And I will give you rest. Some of us need this so much. Step one to participating in the Sabbath is to bring your life, all of it, all of your life to Jesus. And once you are there, we allow him to, to structure our lives in such a way that actually brings us true rest. And not just rest for our minds, not just rest for our bodies, but as the passage says, rest for our souls. That is what we're shooting for as followers of Jesus. Rest for our souls, right? But in order to do that, we have to hear what Jesus teaches us about who we are and what life should actually look like. See, God designed you and I for the Sabbath, to be able to Sabbath. He designed us to be with him. That was his original intent. And as we say all the time, this is part of why Jesus went to the cross, to rescue, out, uh, to rescue us out of this mentality that, that we are defined by what we do. And then to bring us into a place of trusting in his work and in his accomplishments rather than trusting in our work and our accomplishments. Uh, we just read how God rescued the Israelites from Pharaoh. And now what he wants to do for you is rescue you from the spirit of Pharaoh. Here's the thing, though. I'm sure we will come up with a dozen logical reasons why we can't Sabbath, right? Well, I might, you know, miss something. Or, you know, what if my job really, really needs me? Maybe for you, what if something happens and people can't get in touch with me? Or I'm not even tired, Dad. I don't want to rest. Sorry, that's what my son says a lot. <laughs> we have all kinds of reasons for not Sabbathing, right? All right. Here's one very good reason to Sabbath that outranks all of that. Here's the good reason, sorry. It's because God said that this is how life should work. This is how life should work. That, that God himself who created you and created work and the world around us and who sustains all of it, he said that the world will be just fine if you rest. That for 24 hours, for six hours, for two hours, whatever it looks like for you, even if you can only do those two hours, that the world will continue to spin. It will. That the people that are around you, they'll be, they'll be just fine. That God 
does, in fact, have the whole world in his hands. And you know what? You'll, you'll be better off for it, I promise. And like I said before, God will use that. He will use that to breathe life into you. So let's come to Jesus. Let's, let's let him teach us how to Sabbath. And we will ultimately, like the passage says, find rest for our souls. Let's pray.